Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name is Matt Southcombe and this afternoon I'm joined by our rugby writer Andy Hull. Good afternoon, man. Afternoon, Matt. How, How are you things? today? I'm ah, pretty man. good, thank you, Matthew. We're in sync. Jigs. Yeah, I'm not too bad. How's things with you? All right, all right. Beautiful day out there. I've been for a run this morning, Matt, before coming in. <sighs> I'm all fired up for your podcast. All right, let's get into that. We've got lots. Well, we haven't got lots to talk about today, but we've got a few things that we need to cover. Um, we decided to do one of these a bit earlier this week because uh, there was a lot going on over the weekend. We obviously had the two big matches uh, with the Welsh sides in Europe. Lots to talk about. Lots of incidents. Um, because we're so early in the week, there's not a great deal of news knocking about. Although we have got a few things to discuss at the end. But um, let's start with the games then. And I think we're going to start with the Ospreys against Stad. Um, it was a bit more incident in that game uh, than the Blues game I think it's fair to say Ospreys went down 25-21 at the Prince Party Stadium uh, first things first they moved the game to Cardiff because of the clash with Swansea I think they had about 12,000 there in the end highest crowd math in the uh, in the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup OK Bath was probably a sellout bit less but uh, maybe they would have come off they played somewhere uh, at a bigger ground but there were more people at Prince Party Stadium than they were at Gloucester against Cardiff Blues so uh, Gloucester weren't operating at full uh, capacity I actually thought that was a, a good crowd 12,000 odd and to be honest I think they actually had more playing in Cardiff than they would have if they played in Swansea yeah Yes. I think I think the market it's a big pat on the back for the marketing team. It was a, that could have very easily moved sideways on them if they didn't plan yeah, a lot did, of effort. They did a great job, didn't they? they? Did a lot of effort. Did a lot of deals with bars, restaurants, etc. Mm. Uh, I mean, they were unfortunate in the sense because of the late kickoff on a Sunday. If yeah. it had been like a one o'clock or two o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, would probably help them uh, uh, sell uh, more tickets. And of course, if it had been in the actual Premier Tournament, the Champions Cup, there'd have been a lot more people there. All right, then let's uh, talk about the rugby. Um, I was at the game with one of my mates. I wasn't working, but we decided to go anyway. Matt, um, you're always working. You're never <laughs> off duty. Never off duty. Well, yeah. yeah, you're right. I was tweeting from my seat, which is a bit sad, really. But yeah, watch the game instead next time, will I, 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 I had my eyes on it, but there was plenty to watch. Plenty to watch, and I came away from that as most fans probably did, thinking, "How on earth are the Ospreys not in the semi-final?" Exactly, Matt. You know, when the opposition are down to 14 men for most of the second half. And have got an appalling way record this season in the uh, French top 14. You would expect the Ospreys to uh, put them away. But I don't know if it's uh, all in the head, if it's psychological with the Ospreys. But, you know, that was their fourth European final, three in the Premier Tournament, their first in this tournament. And by the way, they were the bookies' favourites. And they find a way of blowing, uh, blowing those matches. You know, when I look at their record, those European quarterfinals, there's only once that they've been hammered. And that was by Munster. They should have won the other three matches. Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, I think a lot of fans left there frustrated, um, not just because of the result, but because some of the incidents that went on. Um, we'll start with, uh, hang on, let me get this right. Raisuki? Don't ask me, Matt. You're the, you're the master of pronunciation. Raisuki, I think. I'll go with that one. Uh, the staff front say winger. Um, there's a stamp on Keelan Giles uh, in the first half. Uh, when he went up on the big screen... I thought mm, this guy's going to be lucky to stay on the field here. Um, it looked bad. It was bad. Um, I've watched it back and I saw the commentators. Their reaction straight away on, on BT Sport was, he's going. Um, but can, can I ask you, Matt, where do you think he actually caught him? I, well, I saw Giles had a cut on his face, right? And I think his boot might have caught his face on the way down, although I'm not sure. But I think obviously the majority of the connection was, was right on the chest. 
Um, it, it, if it had been his face, should have been dismissal. Yeah, I think a yellow card is about right for the chess because in mitigating circumstances, Matt, you taken part in rugby matches. I have when you tackle someone, even in training sessions, when you tackle someone, you hold on to them so they can uh, uh, get, back, get back as a support player, which is what that guy was uh, obviously looking to do. So you hold on to him, then it's a bit of gamesmanship. Yeah. So in return, you get one, then him in the chest on the arm or somewhere yeah. like that. But the, so, the difference is, me and you weren't playing in front of all these TV cameras. And yeah, well, that's the difference and... now, isn't it? You've got TV cameras, all the rest of it, you're always going to get caught, so you cannot do, the, do things like that, well, isn't it? Well, in the stadium, I thought he's given him a yellow because. Keelan Giles was holding on to him and I thought he just said right you've held on to him you shouldn't have done that yeah. you've kicked out you shouldn't have done that so you're getting yellow yeah. but I, I mean I've seen instances where people have been simbing for a similar sort of thing mm. when in my opinion the bloke was doing the holding on as well should have also been uh, uh, simbined for yeah. holding on illegally and all that you know well, and I would cut that out then as well he did. Uh, however Giles I think in fairness to Keelan Giles he didn't realise that he thought he was still all yell on a guy for so uh, long because he thought the guy might still have a ball because yeah. he was bouncing around on one leg. <laughs> he, he was, yeah. And to be fair, um, the referee, uh, Mr Carley, did penalise Giles and then reversed it for mm. the stamp. Um, but he seemed very interested in, when he was talking to the TMO, where was the connection made? And as we've talked about, there's that sort of danger scale, isn't there? Whereas if it's on your head and it's a red card regardless of anything else really mm. uh, but if you get if you stamp somebody and you get them on the foot then it's maybe a different kettle of fish um, yeah well they are play people punished aren't they by where, you, where, the, where the you know the foul play takes well I say where it takes place what part of the body isn't it yeah, yeah I mean, it is senior soccer centre isn't it this, this guy has got previous as well mind. let's not forget he was banned for 15 weeks in 2016 for gouging CJ Stander I'm all for second chances but you know, we can give people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not entirely sure that the guy yeah, with that go, kind go, of uh, Yeah, gouging is a heinous offence, but this, of course, wasn't a gouging offence. This was a reaction to being held. What he thought was illegally uh, late, wasn't it? It's a bit different, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, he's got something in his locker, hasn't he? Let's be honest. Anyway, so on that one, yellow card, do you think was probably fair enough? Yeah, I think so, yeah. He did obviously go later on. You got to say, how many times do you see that? By the way, two yellow cards for the same. Player. I have seen it before, but not very often. No, yeah, it's not on one hand. Yeah, yeah, only once or twice. I think he probably at, at the time. Maybe like, then, Matt, from your point of what seems to me to be your point of view, maybe justice was done. Perhaps it was. Um, I wonder if that might have been going through the referee's head at the time, because um, the guy was pushing it. I think at the, in the stadium, I thought it was a bit harsh. Why did you think the second yellow card was harsh? I thought he was onside, and I don't think he moves until Reese Webb picks the ball up. But having watched it back, he's probably offside, and there is probably a try going to be scored. So, personally, I I'd be surprised. I'd be you know disappointed really if referees think, oh well. He's already had one yellow card. Maybe he should have had a red. I'm going to give him another one. It's like in it's like in football. Yeah, you do see referees. Oh, it's a second yellow card. Your second yellow card means a red, so perhaps sometimes they refrain from giving it. Well, my view is a referee, the best referees, don't think about what's happened before. They decide whether that fence is, is a yellow card or a red card, and they just dish it out. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it's like uh, uh, people often say about us, oh, you know, the uh, uh, Wales team uh, has got a load of players in there from the Ospreys, that's wrong, and all, all that. Or, or when, you know, we name an eight Wales team, this is the team Gatlin should or Owley should pick. But the last thing I look at, I never look at where those players are from. It doesn't mean anything to me. You just pick the best players for the job. Yeah, I mean, you know, in an ideal world, I think that's what everybody would like to see is referees 
taking individual you know incidents on their own merits but I, I'm not sure it always happens and I can sort of understand it to a degree as well um, moving on then another controversial moment was Julian Arias's try um, now this <laughs> this one is so unclear you know just let's let's break it down then um, Hugh Pyle intercepted Sam Davis's pass uh, bigger track back Hugh Pyle offloads to Arias and he goes over scores a try effectively ends the game um, with that try with a lead that that stretched out um, a few key factors here uh, when Reese Webb catches the ball um, what I used to think was that Hugh Pyle couldn't be within 10 metres of the ball yeah 10 metre of circle but as was pointed out to me on Twitter the ruling on this is worded very I mean it can be construed to mean that but I don't think it does you've got to be further away than 10 metres in front of the ball so if you catch a ball on the 10 metre line I've got to be behind the halfway line anywhere across the field so I can be on the far side of the field yeah. 50 metres away but I've got to be behind the halfway line if that is correct it was a very close call yeah with Hugh Pyle you know he might have been on he might have been off I think he's still on side personally yeah um, I, I did I thought he was still on 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 side based on what you were saying yeah however I don't think he was making any effort to get back but this is another one I don't think anywhere I I might be wrong on this but you only have to there's only worded that you have to retreat if you are within 10 metres of the ball if you're not then I I couldn't find anywhere where it says that you have to retweet retweet (laughs) (laughs) retreat Um, but anyway it's it's a very very complicated and I think this rule is awful anyway, right? Yeah, basically, he has played onside. Yeah. Nobody from his own team had passed him. He has only played onside when Reese Webb passes the ball to Sam Davis, and then he becomes. He can go wherever he wants then. Yeah. I think that There's is... There's an ha- easy way to clear all this That's up. a dreadful rule, that yeah, is. Yeah, it is. easy way to clear this up is that anybody in offside position cannot play the ball. They've got to make an effort to retreat, and they only played on by a player who's coming from an onside position, yeah. whether that's the kicker or someone who was behind him when he kicked the ball. And it's simple then, isn't it? And if a player, is the chaser is chasing and a guy can be retreating towards him, you know, they can get themselves back onside a lot quicker, can't they? Yeah, I think it's... Um, It'd be a lot that, easier for officials as well. Well, it would, yeah. And, uh, you know, because when we all saw it in the stadium, we, I think everyone was confused. Um I think well, the TV commentators were laughing and joking about it as the TMO review was going on, and then all of a sudden it turns around like there's a try. Hmm. Um, I thought when I first saw him, you know, he's the first in camera shot. I thought he's been lazy, and uh, you know, he's been too late. He's been lazy loitering with it, not within ten, but he's been a bit yeah, lazy is, yeah. and thinking it's a game of uh, um, ping pong back and forth. And you know, I'm gonna just stand here and watch it basically. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what he was and doing. then he became involved because of course it was a second pass, wasn't it? Yeah, well you know, i mean it's a really interesting debate to have this. Um but if he did mean it, then that's incredibly intelligent play and talk mm. about knowledge of the rules. You know, Gray he's an Aussie, isn't he? Hugh Pyle's an Aussie. Yeah. As Graham Henry used to say, Australia are the most intelligent rugby players of all because of their school system. Well So maybe he was thinking out of the game. Maybe he was, maybe he was. Um we're talking about the red card and how Ospreys still struggled to break down Stade Francais when they were down to 14 men for that period. Um, but I think there needs to be a bit more credit to Stadia. Um, I was watching the game and I was really impressed with how they managed that. 
they, they weren't committing anybody to the breakdown at all. They were fanning out. Genia was was sweeping, and they were still managing to get two wingers and a fullback covering the backfield. And how they were doing that, they must have been dropping a centre like, or something like that. My um, question is then, go why didn't the Ospreys pick and go? Why didn't they keep picking and go? I don't know. Would they that were have been, out. That would have been straight through effect. the ruck. Pick and go straight through, and then force them in, or, or, or get behind them, and then you can shift it. Well, yeah, there is you know, that. Yeah, you know, pick and go. Why not? But again, you know, I, I just I would like to uh, give uh, staff from say their, their dues on that one, uh, just because I think everybody's picking on the Ospreys for not breaking them down. But you yeah, know, Stad, you know, when Stad wanna be, they could have, you know, still a decent outfit, all, aren't they? Even though they have struggled mate, for a couple of years, we all question what their their frame of mind was going to be coming into this game, yeah, given we, everything that's yeah, gone we, on. We did warn on a podcast mine last week, uh, Matt. Though we tipped the Ospreys to win, we did say. That don't underestimate the uh, imp- uh, the Alan Jones being uh, Alan Wynne Jones being uh, absent, well, absent what he brings to the Ospreys, and uh, we also said you know Stadfont say you've got a good record in this particular tournament, yeah. so they couldn't be discounted, and of course they got Parisi playing for him, who uh, I don't think he ever goes on a on a pitch, you know, uh, uh, wanting to lose. So uh, uh, and of course the Ospreys fed him some stuff, didn't they? Like the interception, yeah, also they were always, you know, they played him into the game if you like. Yeah, Will Genia played very well, I thought. But he, you know, he's a top player when he when he's on song, isn't he? He's one yeah. of the world's best scrum halves. So you touched on it. Um, so did did in your opinion did uh, Genia uh, get the better web? I think if we were given, I think if we were given match ratings, at best it would be level. Uh, from Webb's point of view and at worst I would say I'd probably be inclined to give Genia a higher mark mm. um, not not because in general play particularly outplayed him but I think Webb did a few things that, as we'll mention now that ended up costing the Ospreys um, you mean a penalty giveaway? yeah I mean the Ospreys when I left there I felt like big players made big errors and it cost them bigger missed a penalty from bang in front just before half time Sam Davis throwing the interception and you got Webb giving away that soft penalty. I know Plisson went down like he'd been shot, but you know, let's be fair, what do you expect uh, from some of those players? The French are not the only ones doing that, mind. That's, unfortunately, this diving business is creeping yeah, into rugby generally. Yeah, but Webb gave him, a, gave him an excuse, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. And, and it probably was a penalty. Um, but of course, they scored France, get, France get a territory, kick the touch, get better territory, score. And, yeah. and Webb cost them five points. Yes, that's what I call one of those needless penalties yeah. which frustrates coaches more than anything so based on that and the, f- and the fact I thought Genia had a pretty flawless game then I would probably say that Genia came out on top mm-hmm. um, that's not a slight on not much of a slight on Webb you know, we obviously still think he's a great player but I don't think he helped his side uh, on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, we talked about Alan Jones do we really think he would have had much of an influence on the outcome of that score I think, I, if, I think if he'd been playing it one do you why yeah, because I think they would have had all of that game from the start and done the right things, and I just think his his influence is immense. Is you know subconsciously perhaps on other players when he's on the pitch. Okay. Everyone talks about Al Al his leadership yeah. and all that. And I just think he's a you know he's a, he's the man who drives the Ospreys forward. Well, him and bigger actually. Yeah, because I was you wonder maybe that's a fair comment, but I was thinking about in in terms of the tangible things. Another type five struggled, so maybe you missed. The, they might have missed him in the scrum. I know he brings a little bit of extra weight, probably compared to Rory Thornton, a little bit more grunt, perhaps. Well, the, the bloke they're missing is Dimitri Harrop. 
yeah. a tight dead prop, you know. He's, oh, uh, he's been playing he so a, well. And uh, it's a shame, you know, he did his, I think it was his shoulder for the season on most of it. And, uh, and Brian Majad, he used to be a really good player and all, but he seems to have lost his way and he had a bit of an outing. He had a bit of a stinker, uh, it's got to be said. Uh, it was the first, the Ospreys, it was, uh, we'll come on to more general terms later on, but it was the Ospreys' first real test in Europe, let's be fair. Uh, we'd, we'd mentioned it last week, as you said, and they couldn't pass it, which yeah. is going to be immensely disappointing for everybody came involved. Up, came up short, but was, as we spoke about last week, you know, how much was their confidence damaged by that defeat at uh, Torizo? Did that really undermine them? Possibly, but, I, you know, there were players coming back into that side who wouldn't have been involved in that defeat. You know, you look at Bigger and Webb and stuff. Mm. But I, I kind of take your point, but you know, if you're challenging for titles and you're challenging for European titles, you've got to be able to put those kind of things behind you. Of course you are, but uh, you know, I know a West Wales reporter, Mr. Mark Orders, who covers the uh, Ospreys regularly, he says if you analyse their results this season, who were they really beaten? When what full strength teams? Well, that's an interesting one. We'll have to go. You know, go they lost to Dublin Munster, didn't they? Yeah, that was a very, very close game, mind. Yeah, you know, it looked like they really were running away with it and then uh, lost their way in that game and they blew up in the final 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, we'll move on to uh, the other game now then. Uh, Gloucester 46, Cardiff Blues 26. I know <laughs> you took exception with me yesterday. As soon as I I didn't even turn my machine on, barely taking my jacket off when I came in and he was shouting me down uh, for the headline I put on that. But I think it's fair to say it was a tale of two halves. It was a tale of two halves. Uh, and I thought, you know, the Blues were in uh, bossed that game in the first half. Uh, played really well. We're in charge of it. We're winning the collisions, etc. Played some lovely rugby. It was fantastic to see Cuthbert back to his. That's best I've seen Cuthbert play since against uh, South Africa in uh, 2014 in Niels Prout. And uh, I thought he was excellent. They played some lovely, uh, lovely rugby in charge of that game. And then second half, they let it all go. You know, I thought they made some uh, substitutions they probably didn't need to at that time. And as a consequence, uh, lost their way. And you've got to say their defending was uh, some of their defending was uh, shambolic, optional. Um, uh, when people, you know, are not really getting hands on anyone, uh, it's very disappointing, isn't it? Well, that second half was it was a, it was a, a strange one to watch because it all sort of went wrong at the same time and. I felt like when the pressure came on from Gloucester, the Blues started making mistakes. The shed, got and, and that's been a habit for a few years. Yeah, you know they've unravelled in a lot of games. Yeah, well, so it's nothing new. Like I said, the shed, the shed got up for it, and then all of a sudden, then this all started looking like it was going against the Blues. Mm. And as we've touched on, I know you're you've got a massive bee in your bonnet about this, but he made substitutions when. Yeah, you know, I, I gotta be honest. I'm not sure why he took Lloyd Williams off. For example. Lloyd Lloyd Williams was having his best game for for well, best game I've seen him play for a long time. I thought he was excellent. Yeah. He was running a show. He was you know directing. Service, service was crisp. Getting the ball away quickly when it was needed. I was slowing it down. And you do playing really really well. And they go and take him off. Yeah. To me, that is that uh, madness. Why direct uh, to some coaches? I'm not just having a go at Danny Wilson here. I'll have a go at loads of other coaches, well, including I, the Wales, I you know. Give it to Howley as well. I'll give it to Howley, didn't I? Yeah. The, uh, uh, was it the England game? Yeah. And, um, you know, why do they make substitutions by the clock? And why, when a guy is playing well, why take him off? 
when he's playing well and he's got bags of energy he's one of the fittest blokes in the team mm. you know Lloyd he works with a sprint coach outside and Ollie's one of the quickest guys yeah. round off the mic they take, he's playing really well and they take him off and then Matthew Morgan yeah he had to have the up because he wasn't making any tattles but why did they move their number one outside half Gareth Anscombe who was playing well created a lovely try for uh, Kasper playing well at 10 why did they move him to full back and then move Steve Shingler to outside half and bring on Willis Hala Holo in the centre. It was a double reshuffle. Why didn't they just bring Willis on in the centre and move Shingler to fullback where he's also played and keep your main man at outside half? Uh, you know, would Dan Carter move to the All Blacks to fullback and they have a reshuffle like that and bring Aaron Cruden on at outside half? No. That was daft. People have pointed to the young props coming on. Yes, that might have been uh, an issue. But I'm not going to blame those young props. What I'm going to blame, I would have kept Gethin Jenkins and Felici on our, on our pitch for longer, even if they were walking from scrum to scrum. Gethin wouldn't be walking from scrum to scrum. Don't forget, it was a, a chest injury he had, so he hasn't stopped him running. Well, for, you know, we don't know if Felice might have blown a gasket, mind. Yeah, but you could have just kept him on for his scrumming, couldn't you? Scrummaging. Just, I mean, just take him from scrum to scrum. Yeah, just wheel him from scrum to scrum. <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, got to give credit to Gloucester, though. They, oh, they stepped up. They, they, they good really stuff. stepped up. In and the it was a blow, half. wasn't it? It was a blow. It was actually a blow for the Blues when Billy Burns was injured and Trowtree's moved outside half. That was the best Trout, I've Trout seen Trout play in yeah, yeah, he is a good player when he's on song. He's yeah. a very good player. He really pulled the strings. Yeah, he pulled the strings. But when he went through in the second half, and for that one try, you know, he should never have been allowed to go through like that. Yeah. He does. But he is a good player. He reads the game, plays edits up rugby. He's a good player when he's uh, when he's uh, playing well. Interesting battle, Ross Moriarty and Sam Warburton. It was a, it was a strange afternoon. I, I wouldn't say. I thought they both went about their business quite well. Um, I don't know how much joy Sam Warburton had at the breakdown. Uh, obviously, Moriarty got his break, try. Break, breakdowns become more difficult now, though, isn't it for uh, uh, for uh, for players who are trying to nick the ball because they're always the game's being refereed. Yeah. Uh, you know, you allowed to hold on it a bit more if you've got the ball, so it is more difficult. I think Warburton has modified his game. To more of uh, the number six type game, blind side flank, a slightly different uh, way of uh, playing. He's done that. Uh, you know, he was usually successful with that in the um, in the six uh, nations. So that I thought he played quite well. Yeah. Warburton uh, second half as well when that Thomas Williams who uh, came on for Lloyd actually made a nice break and Sam was with him, but then Sam couldn't uh, supply the return uh, pass. Was a bit off cue. It was indeed. Yeah, but uh, Moriarty was impressed with him. Thought he was very good skills. Yeah. He's athletic, he's powerful, he's quick off the mark, and he's a very skillful player. Well, he's, he's you know, he's, he's, he's his father. His father was top uh, Paul, Paul Moriarty. He was a top rugby union, top rugby league player for Wales, Great Britain Rugby League, uh, Wales Rugby League, etc. And he's a spitting image. Yeah, <laughs> simple as, exactly the same way he plays. Oh, and you know, with the Moriarty's, they hate losing, <laughs> and they'll always give 100%. Yeah. I thought he's excellent, and he's got to be a bolter for the Lions. Oh, interesting. Uh, let's give Alex Cuthbert a little bit of praise. You know he's had a lot of flack. We know about all this, um, but like you like you touched on, he played very good. first half. He was absolutely magnificent for yeah. the Blues. He was absolutely, and like I said, he was back there uh, for about well, three years ago now. So it was when he, in the second test for South Africa uh, over there, he was uh, he was like RoboCop. Yeah, he was unstoppable, uh, and uh, you know he played on uh, against Gloucester. You wonder why he hadn't been playing like that before, yeah. I guess. But he was just full of it, and he was uh, his confidence soared, and he was uh, he was running through people and uh, showing his best assets. 
I mean, his biggest asset with Alex is obviously his, his uh, try scoring, which unfortunately has dried up. But let's hope he can carry on like he did uh, last weekend. And I see so straight away some people, you know, some people, oh, he's had one good game, so people talk about him with the uh, Lions. I, you've got to have more than one good game, though, I'm afraid. So uh, he, I still think he's struggled to make a Lion. OK. Um, let's talk it in more general terms now, then. Um, there's a wider... There's got to be a bit of a wider issue here. Um we haven't got any Welsh teams in the semi-finals yeah. in Europe. This is a surprise. The only team to do it in the last six years are the Newport Gwent Dragons. Yeah, well, funny enough, uh, you know, people say now great Gloucester and all that. Funny enough, the Dragons won at Gloucester last season. Yeah. 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 Won quite well, actually. This is it's frustrating, to say the least, as a fan of Welsh rugby. Um, it's a disgrace. Well, that's another word. Yeah, it's a disgrace. It's more frustration. It's an absolute disgrace when you look at the quality... Of uh, players, some of the regions got, and the success Wales have had in European terms, i.e., Six Nations, and at uh, you know twenty, I know twenty nine World Cups, a long way away, but a lot of still same place still about. When you look at the Welsh regions, and you compare them even to Glasgow, the Scottish they've overtaken us now, and um, you look at the Irish who were uh, uh, let, you know, leaving us behind, Munster. Personally, I don't think on paper their squad is fantastic. I know they were galvanised by the uh, sad uh, death of Anthony uh, Foley, but what that what that did was they started they were rode an emotional wave. They started winning, and that gave them the confidence they had been lacking because they've been rebuilding for a few years. And that confidence now they've been you know they built on that confidence, and they men on a uh, on a on a crusade. And I think that is the the the, the difference that the Munster, because of their record, they've been in 16 European Cup quarterfinals out of 22. It's incredible. They've won 12 of, 12 of them. It's like Champions League football. Your Real Madrid, your Barcelona's, your Bayern Munichs, you know, they are, they are proven winners because it's in the air. They expect to win when they go in those games, where I would say the Welsh teams in Europe, apart from the, the, the Scarlets, are our best team in Europe, without a doubt, because they've got that European mentality. They've gone a long way in competitions in pass and it really turns them on and lifts them but of the Welsh teams they've got the best mentality when it comes to Europe but the others we struggle I honestly think the difference is mental top four inches when we're in crunch games in Europe the belief or lack of belief the Irish sides have got a special relationship with European competitions yes because they've been successful because they've won it and all yeah. you know last season well, the, the last have won in Europe yeah they won that yeah 2010 but of course then unfortunately instead of the team was getting old quite a lot of that team instead of rebuilding the team the money dried up a bit and the and the team is not as strong now as it was then but they were building something great back then don't forget they went and playing Cardiff uh, at that, that one season they were having average home gates of over 15,000 it was fantastic but they let I know money but they but they they let it go and that really frustrates me about the Blues the Blues to me should be Welsh rugby's equivalent of Leinster based in a capital city Major sponsors, Land Rover sponsor the Blues, goodwill of the city, businesses in the city, enormous goodwill towards the Blues. Blues should be up there at the top table of European rugby, and it's a huge frustration to me that they are, that they are not. Um, you know, you look at Leinster, Leinster have had a major rebuild job, like Sir Driscoll, Darcy, etc., uh, retiring, lost a lot of players. And you can remember last season, Matt, no Pro 12 team qualified for the knockout uh, knockout stage I think it was last year 
of the uh, competition and a doom-mongers, this is it, we cannot compete with English and French budgets, no pro team is ever going to qualify again, pro trials rubbish, etc, etc. Well, Munster, Leinster ran those words down their, uh, down their mouths, so the uh, Glasgow up against it at Saracens, they were the, you know, they came off second best, but they gave it a good go. They've done really well this tournament. Connaught have played uh, well in the tournament, came very close to uh, qualifying, uh, beat Wasps. Um, uh, so all is not lost for the Pro 12. Uh, yes, budgets do make a difference, but they're not everything. You can still build a team. Two examples, Connaught won the Pro 12 last season. Leicester City won the... Uh, Premiership, not exactly teams with the biggest uh, mm. budgets. I think coaching and that does come into it. It's, I know what you're saying about the Blues, right? But on on the weekend, about the Blues having a good squad, but on the weekend when when the two youngsters came on, and like you said, we're not you wouldn't criticise them because the one lad was 19, the other lad was about 20ish, I think. But at the end of the day, does that not show that they have got a problem with the depth of their well, squad? Well, I know they no, got injuries. No, where's we skill? Is he, I take he must be injured, but why wasn't he on the bench? He's had a massive season, really good player, top player with skill, Welsh international. I take he was injured because he wasn't on the bench. Yeah. So there's one straight away. And what's happened to Dylan Lewis? He's about 21. Whatever, last season people were ailing him, what a prospect when he played for the Blues and all. Disappeared off the map this season. I think there, was, there might have been talk about him having a knock as well um, at the time. But, you know. Yeah, but I see now, right? I see now, I see now, right? Okay. There's talk, all this talk, they're trying to sign Thomas Francis, get him out of his contract at Exeter. All due respect to Thomas Francis, is he the answer for the Blues? Well, you know, they had the trouble at the scrums, didn't they? That was showed on, what's saying yeah, that? They didn't lose the match because of the scrums, they lost the match because their defence was woeful. Second in the final quarter, as Danny Wilson said. They do need to strengthen their tight five. Yeah. I think their troubles are at lock myself. They are. It's lock, yeah. But they have. They, they've done that. They've strengthened for next season by two, signing two, two, two guys. guys. Yeah. But of course, when they arrive next season, they'll, both be, they'll be 35, combined age of uh, 70 years old. Uh, what's the point of that? Yeah. Uh, when maybe it would be better to have some young, uh, uh, young bucks running around on a plastic pitch. Uh, Van der Meer is a good player at Ulster. Go-to man, good player. But he, you know, he will be a bit long in a tooth. Damien Welsh, good, he's a decent athlete and all, but he's never been, uh, he wasn't a first choice really at the Scarlet's or at Exeter. Fair enough. Um, one bit of news that I want to touch on with you, and is uh, yesterday we had the, the host cities for the 2018 and 2019 European finals. 2018, Bill Bao. Brilliant. Fantastic. Breaking news. new ground. That's good, huh? Well, it's breaking, breaking new ground by having a final in Spain however I covered Heineken uh, Cup quarter final uh, in Spain already at San Sebastian which is only about 20 miles uh, from uh, from uh, Bilbao because it's uh, Basque country mm. and, uh, and Biarritz hosted the Ospreys there and I think the crowd was about 38,000 it was a brilliant day as well I'll say at Real Sociedad's where John Toshak used to manage at their ground so I think it's great, Bilbao, and it's great. And the other thing, Matt, you can tell me the attendance now. What was the attendance when the French top 14 championship final was held in Barcelona? Liaf and he started in it. Just over 99,000, I believe. Oh, so there we are. So this is guaranteed to follow us, I tell you. And what a, what a place. You know, straight away, 
someone in our office today, someone mischievous, I'm not going to mention his name, someone said as soon as the draw was out, oh, you want to get a line on now, where the Welsh regions won't be going next oh, season, which is out of order, won't it? But, <laughs> but however, what a place for rugby fans to go on tour. Oh, Bill Bow is a beautiful city. Me and my mates have already been texting. Yeah. Bill Bow next year, fancy oh. that. Yeah, get it over there for some tappers. It's going to be a great weekend for the rugby uh, supporters who go over there. Mm. Never know it, despite the negativity emanating from the from the desk yesterday. Perhaps we will have a Welsh region to come. Well, it's here. good job, Matt, that me and you are more optimistic than some people on our desk. <laughs> okay, and then Newcastle in 2019. That's good as well. Yeah, yeah hosted well, rugby world cup matches yeah. at St James's Park. Oh. That's for the final of the Champions Cup. Yeah, you know, that'd be like going on tour to Murrayfield, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, Edinburgh, yeah good for, especially for you youngsters. Yeah, you youngsters. Oh, yeah, good little trips, and uh, hopefully, like we said, we'll have some Welsh regions to cover uh, there. Ah. Before we go, obviously well, one thing, mind. Let's you know, we, uh, let's get just briefly on the Welsh record in in the uh, in Europe. I still I still adamant if uh, Gatland or Joe Schmidt or Graham Henry had coached the Ospreys when they had all the star players: Justin Marshall, Jerry Collins, Ryan Jones, Shane Williams, James Zook, Gavin Ensor, Lee Byrne etc etc Adam Jones that they would have won Europe well, absolutely you might be alright but we'll never know um, back to the Pro 12 this week uh, we haven't mentioned the Scarlet or the Dragons on the podcast today apologies for that but it's obviously been dominated by the uh, the matches at the weekend um, lots to talk about in those matches um, but I promise we will talk about you guys uh, next week uh, the Blues on Friday night away to Ulster not an easy trip. Um, then you've got the Dragons out in Zebra. You know. The Dragons got to be careful that uh, they're not overhauled by uh, uh, Zebra won last weekend against Connaught and uh, Treviso and don't end up bottom of the table. So this is a big game for the Dragons. Yep. If uh, Zebra win it, they'll be right on him. Yeah. You know, we talked about Star Frontier's mindset last week. What's the, going to be the mindset, you know, the frame of mind of these Dragons players at the moment? We should lots, be the same as Stade Francais. Um, my view is that those players, Stade Francais players, last week they probably thought they were playing for jobs or, or the shot window to, to get contracts elsewhere. And same for the Dragons players now. If the WIU takeover uh, happens, mm. and, uh, the, the, you know, those players are going to think, oh, they're going to bring some players in here to strengthen up and play for my future. Surely, mm. surely. If they, if they don't, there's something wrong with them. Okay, and then obviously there's a big one. The there. other one is that Ulster, really the Scarlets and the Blues, uh, and Scarlets and Ospreys need the Blues to do them a favour and win at Ulster in the battle to finish. There's five teams in the battle to finish in the top four to make the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, you know it's probably the third team. It's going to be a battle between uh, I say uh, Leinster, Munster definitely going to make it, and it's Ospreys, uh, Scarlets, and Ulster battling over the fight, over the other two places. Oh, it's a big one on uh, Saturday, Ospreys against Leinster, um, back at the Liberty Stadium, not in Cardiff. That's a big one. It's a massive one. They lose, they lose. Ospreys lose they, for the third match in a row. They're in real trouble. Well, that's, and that's they got, and they, and they, well, yeah, yeah, and they got hammered at Leinster in the season. Mm. So uh, I would imagine Leinster will come over here pretty heavily tooled up for this game. Yeah, yeah, they could see that because they will see they've lost to the Ospreys twice in the final. They'll see this as an early opportunity for the Ospreys out of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And then finally, Scarlets. Scarlets at home to Treviso. Um, Five pointers, Garby. Well, yes, but they're you know you can't take those guys lightly. I know they don't travel well and all this, but as they've proven against the Ospreys. 
Yeah, they were really fired up for that because their uh, coach's father had passed away and they were playing for their coach, Kieran Crowley, who'd gone back to New Zealand for the yeah. sort of old funeral and that. Um, so, uh, Chorizo, I expect the if the Scarlets, Dundu and Ospreys, uh, like last weekend, and I played with, uh, you know, a lot more, uh, a lot better, yeah. a lot less mistakes, a lot more structure, and I'm expecting that to be a, a maximum. And that's what they need from this game. They need a five-pointer because it's going to be it's, a tight race. It's all about against those sides, killing them off in the first 20, you know. Well, you've got to kill them off, which the Ospreys never did against that. Yeah. You've got to kill them off. Kill Therese, and often it's a maximum, and it could be ice going game 46 20, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, they, yeah. I think they'd be hoping not to concede 20 yeah, points. Yeah, but, yeah, you know. yeah. Looking at, at the league generally there, uh, you know, I actually think that the uh, that it's only one Welsh team going to make the playoffs. I think also got a pretty good uh, run in, and uh, now they're in the top four. They're going to be because on paper, paper Ulster probably got the strongest squad in the competition. Because you know I've been scathing about the Blues and the Ospreys in Europe, but the other bigger underachievers in European rugby is Ulster. When you look at the squad, and and in their case, the money has been thrown at them over the years, mm. and they are massive underachievers. But they have got a really strong squad. So I think the, I think the final place in the playoffs could come down to the uh, West Wales boys. Mm. Uh, Scarlets and uh, Ospreys is going to be really interesting interesting alright then guys just one more thing before we go um, don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes head over to iTunes and search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast and you should find us um, no trouble at all and then you can take us anywhere uh, who wouldn't want to do that uh, of course we've got all these matches now back to the Pro 12 this weekend coming up and we'll be building up to all those games throughout the week we'll have team news and all the quotes from the press conferences coming your way and then we'll have live updates on the weekend and all the fallout on Wales Online.